<laughs> Folks couldn't breathe, so we had to take a moment to breathe a little bit last week. And I want you to know, if you didn't get a chance to see it yet, if you're not a Facebook person, I don't know what to tell you. Um, I think we do have the video, and we can put it, put it online, but uh, Kevin Cameron put together a little uh, vignette, uh, short video uh, on the men going to the police precinct last week. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, it was powerful. It was powerful. I mean, powerful to the extent that both police officers were overcome with emotion. Uh, one police officer, and I specifically say the white police officer, and I think that was a beautiful picture to see all these African-American men and this white police officer with everything that's going on in Cleveland right now. And just to hear us exchange and talk as brothers, as brothers, we don't preach hate here in Cleveland. Come on, say amen. Yeah. And you know what? Let me tell you something. If, if we as the oppressed are not willing to forgive the oppressor, then the Bible says that God will not forgive us. <laughs> I heard one preacher say it this way. He said, when we are unwilling to forgive others in light of how God forgave us, says what the Bible is really saying is, is that every sin that you've ever committed that you had received forgiveness for, God now undoes that and holds it against you when you refuse to forgive others for what they've done. It's almost like we tied his hands and said, I forgave you, but now that you have done this, you've given me no choice but to remember stuff I forgot. And so I don't know about you, a person that has experienced God's grace ought to be the first person that's willing to extend forgiveness. Amen. Um, and so just I mean, I'm just I was so proud of Glenville. Let's put our hands together for all the men in the church. that just so proud. Come on. You can do better than that, brothers and sisters. Come on. Yes. Yes. Praise the Lord. I mean, uh, Carl Poole came with us, and uh, I was concerned uh, that. Uh, and so Carl offered the prayer, and I want you to know the Holy Ghost took over. <laughs> he knows what I'm talking about. But I'm telling you, it was just amazing. It was a great time, great time, great time. And uh, we thank the Lord for every bit of it. Now, Genesis, the 27th chapter, as you know, we're in our series entitled God is Love. What's the name of our series, everybody? God is love. And what we are simply trying to do is sort of try to uncover the deep things of God's love relationship with humanity. Since sin, and we've been looking at the various stages of the salvation story. Salvation is a story. What is salvation, everybody? It's a story. And it doesn't begin and end with you, by the way. <laughs> it has it begun even before the planet came into existence. We call that pre-creation. What do we call that, everybody? In heaven, there was a war. Isn't that what the Bible says? The Bible says there was war in heaven. Isn't that what the Bible says, everyone? It says Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and they were not able to overcome them. Uh, and so what happened in heaven is simply what is happening on planet Earth. The created being no longer sees God the way he wants to be seen. And really, that I want you to please let's refine that because I really want you to get this. I don't know if I've done a good job at laying down this foundation, but I want us to be very clear on this. The whole issue of the salvation story, or you can say the great controversy or the battle between good and evil is this. And I, please don't miss this. Everybody hear this right now. The issue is, is us believing and seeing a picture of God that does not exist. The goal of Satan is to get us to see God like unto himself rather than to view God as he wants to be seen. And I want to tell you now, if you experience the love of Jesus, if you experience God and the gospel, I, I want to tell you, there, it's, I can almost feel like it is impossible not to love God if you see him as he is. This is why Satan resorts to deception. Because if Satan simply presented God as he really is, he knows everybody in here would serve him 100%. I mean, you're a, you were created for love. You're addicted to love. There's, no, there's not a person in here that can get by without love. 
And if you, and this is why when we get to heaven, this is going to be an amazing experience. The Bible says, um, it doth not yet appear um, what we shall be, but we know that when we see him as he is, we're going to be like him. Can you imagine the day when our minds finally will come in contact with, with love unadulterated, undefiled, perfection? Have you ever, you've never even lived in the presence of someone who has total love for you with not a stench of selfishness. And this is why the Bible tells us that when we begin to worship God in heaven, that it will be an explosion of praise. The Bible says that the praise is going to sound like the sound of many waters. <laughs> I mean, think about this for a moment. And so here's the goal of what we're trying to do. We're trying to paint the picture the way God intended. Now, here's a problem. Most of us did not grow up, even in the church. I'm really sorry to say this. If you grew up in the church, and please, I'm not, this is not to, please don't misunderstand me when I'm saying this. A lot of times when we talk about change, people are offended because someone may have taught you one way. And you think that this is a knock against the person that taught you. It's not. As a matter of fact, if you are a true Adventist, then you believe that revelation is constantly increasing and that what was good in the past is not good for now and that we ought to constantly grow. Right. Come on now. We ought to constantly grow in our understanding. Truth never changes, but our understanding. Come on, saints. Our under, come on in here, everybody. Our, under, our knowledge of God. This is one of the beauties of studying the word of God. You can read one passage one time, come to it in a different experience in your life another time. And when you read it, you read it with fresh eyes. Amen. And you see windows of God. You cannot comprehend him totally. You cannot put him in a box. He is constantly revealing. So historically, we have painted God as a God that operates on a merit system. Now, when I say merit, I'm talking about the whole idea that I've got to be good in order for God to love me. Okay. Most of us, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Most of you operate like that. This is one of the reasons why people don't come to church. They don't come because they said, I haven't been a good boy. I haven't been a good girl. And then they make this line that drives me crazy. When I get myself together, then I'll come. Now, let me tell you what, what's happening there. That is a mindset that's operating on a foundation that sees God as a God that's, that's love is conditional. That I'm only going to love you and bless you if you behave the way I want you to behave. God does not operate like that. I'm guilty. How many have ever been guilty of uttering things that sound or resemble something like that? I mean, come on. When I, when, I, when I grew up and you came down here for children's story, most children's stories were obey God and then he'll bless you. You know, it's like all obedience. But here's the thing that I want to clarify. I read in Christ Object Lessons this morning and I want to share this with you. Do you realize even when you repent, you know what it means to repent? It means to say, I'm wrong. I'm sorry for what I've done. I mean, to come to a place where you acknowledge your sinful condition. Even when you do that, even when you do that, that is not a work that happens independent of God. Uh, put the, put the, go to the next slide for me. I, and I showed you three different ways people relate to God. The first bad idea of how we relate to God is that man, the arrow represents love. We love God. This is how we view our relationship with God. We are supposed to love him. We just, you know, it's just one way. God is, he's so perfect. He's so good. So the only, the only thing that's wrong is me and I need to love him. Well, that's a false picture. Go to the next one. The next one. Go to the next one. The second one is, is that we meet each other halfway. This is a predominant ideology in church. That God does his part and I do what? I do mine. <laughs> it's that kind of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of theology. You know what I'm saying? God has done his part. Now it's time to do yours. Well, what do you mean by that? Do what? And when you do it, how are you going to do it? The Bible says your righteousness is as filthy rags. So, so let's just say your arrow even is, your arrow is not even working right. Because the stuff you're giving is unacceptable to God. This is church Philosophy right here. I ain't going to call it theology because it's not biblical. This is the majority of people think God's doing his part. I've got to do mine. And we'll meet each other somewhere in the middle. That's not love. By the way, all the married people out here, y'all know you can't, you can't do this in marriage. This is what they tell you, though. You know, you, I do my 50%, you do yours. It ain't never a day on the planet. Talk to me, married people. 
where, where is where, where we slice the peanut butter and jelly sandwich down in the middle. I, I remember I got counseling and, 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 and one of the guys gave an illustration of what love ought to look like in marriage. And he said, well, if, you're, if you and your wife are on a trip, on a picnic, and, and you forget to bring the second sandwich, he says, what do you do? And I said, we cut it in half. I take a piece, she takes a piece. He says, that's not love. Love is give her the sandwich and when she's done, whatever's left is yours. But I'm saying all of us operate, and you know, it amazes me, I, I mean, how we, you know, so I shoot, I ain't me. Like, think about this for a minute. You have never in your life, and when I said this last week, I, I think, I'm mean, a week before, I know some people were kind of like, oh man, how can you say that? But I'm, let me help you out. No one in here has ever loved God. You have not. No one in here has ever loved God in a way that is acceptable. Can't, you can't do it. You're too sinful. You are, listen. <laughs> you are too sinful to even manipulate that kind of stuff. Here's the better picture. So go, go to the next slide for us. Here's the better picture of what, what love is. That, that's what happens, all right? So what happens in our relationship with God is God loves us, and then he loves himself back through us. God loves us, and he knows that when he gets down here inside of all this, that there's nothing in him. I mean, as he's examining it, he's saying to himself, there's no one way in the world that that can love me. So what I've got to do now is give them something called the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is, first, very first thing, and most scholars suggest that love is not one of the nine fruits of the Spirit, but it is the fruit of the Spirit, and all the rest of the eight are simply uh, uh, um, um, connections that draw from love. The fruit of the Spirit is what, everybody? And so what God does, this is amazing to me, because what this says is, is my responsibility in my relationship with God is simply to believe that that happens. That he, oh, this is good. That God loves me, and then when he gets down in me and realizes there's nothing in me that can love him back, then he loves through me, and that's, guess what? He gives me the credit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, some don't, so there, most Christians, especially that have been socialized to think on a merit system, this bothers them. Because what it says, like Nicodemus says, is, hold on, all the stuff I've done, talking about the good stuff, I mean, all the Bible studies and all the church services and all the things that I gave up, the stuff I don't do anymore that I want to do, but I haven't done because I simply want to be pleasing in God's sight. You're telling me that doesn't mean anything? Right. Philippians, Philippians, the third chapter says that Paul counts all the religious things that he has done as dung. D-U-N-G. Your righteousness uh, the, the sum total of all of our righteousness in here, take all of our righteousness from the oldest member in here, Sister Radney, to the youngest member in here, whoever that is, the, the smallest baby, compile, take all that good stuff, pile it together. You know what God says? It's a piece of poop. Oh my goodness. That's the value of it. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. So who then can be saved? The person that opens their heart to the love of God and allows God to work in them, the scripture says, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Amen. Amen. So, so go to the next slide here. Go to the next slide. Notice what the Bible says again. First John 4, 10. This is what? Not that we what? But that he did what? I mean, I love John. John's like, let me just, let's just, just get this straight. You, you didn't love God. Never. No, you did not. Shut up. Stop. No, stop. I don't want to hear it. You did not love God. Stop it. Stop your, all your self-congratulatory rhetoric. Be quiet. I don't care where you send your kids to school. I don't care how long you've been a vegetarian. 
I don't care how faithful you've been to your wife, how long you've been married. All that stuff means, he says, listen, you've never loved me. He says, the, the story of salvation is this. Not that you loved me or that you were so faithful. He says, at the end of when we get to heaven, nobody's going to be congratulating the kill saying, man, dude, you was faithful, man. Oh, man, Donna. Oh, you. I mean, you think, can you imagine God just like high-fiving everybody, talking about, man, Carl, oh, you were so faithful. Daniel, great job, man. You did it. Y'all, y'all saved yourselves. When we get to heaven, the entire celebration will have absolutely nothing to do with human beings. That Nobody will give credit. Nobody will get the glory except Jesus Christ. It will be very clear how we made it. It's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about him. All right? So I want to set this up today. And that, I had to lay that out because I know we took a break last week. So let me, so go to the next slide and give me to my introduction. So um, what, funny thing is, is in order for God to save us, as I told you before, he can't go as scheduled. Because look, if you took plan A, your plan, you know what's going to happen? You, you, look, you got your bike. You don't need nobody. Just ride straight. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? Just look at the picture. Like, what help do you need with such a short distance, <laughs> a straight line? None. But in God's plan, that bike's not going to work for you. We're going to have to do video on this. <laughs> because, like, the people on the, on the audio are not going to know what I'm talking about. But do you, you see what I'm saying? Like, what good is that bike going to do now? When you, got a, when you got a lake in the middle of your life. <laughs> in a storm, it's not going to... In other words, that bike represents your righteousness. Your righteousness is not enough. Here's the good news about that. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. You know why? Because I've got somebody whose righteousness is just right. <laughs> It's enough. Oh, come on. Praise the Lord in here, somebody. It's enough. His Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Jesus Christ is enough. Do you didn't hear what I said? I said Christ's righteousness is enough. The Bible does not say Myron, God's righteousness. It says Christ, our righteousness. And I love what he said about Abraham. As we begin to look at his family, the Bible says Abraham believed God. Now watch this. And then God gave him credit. That, that's, that's, that's exactly what the Bible says. It says, Abraham, listen, please don't miss this part, especially if you're in debt. Abraham believed God. Watch this. And God credited it to him as righteousness. Did you catch that? You know what credit is, right? Like, so when I got my first home, I, they called me a homeowner. <laughs> what, a, what a deception. I'm not trying to, I mean, seriously, you don't own your home until you have no more payments. And even then, you're paying property tax. So listen to what I'm saying. So the way credit works is, is you can't, no one really here can afford the homes they live in. They tell you that. What you can afford is, you can afford for the underwriter to give you credit to do it. In other words, your credit history has just given you a little bit. And now, now all the honest folk in here, I want you to be honest. How many know that you did not have the credit necessary to deserve the house that you're living in or the car that you're driving in and somehow or another God waved his hand over the entire process all right so but let's just assume that you have decent credit your credit your credit what was what is it called uh credit what history credit score there we go your credit score <laughs> is simply a statement to the lender that they will be faithful in paying them for something that they'll make you think belongs to you. That's it. And so when the Bible says Abraham believed God and God gave him credit for righteousness, what it's essentially saying is, is because Abraham could not muster up the kind of righteousness that could afford salvation, what I did was is I let him borrow mine. Now, here's 
the great thing about having a, a line of credit with God. It never runs out. You never have to pay him back. And there's no interest on it. I don't even know if you can call it a loan because he gives it to you. Now notice now, now, this is how we access it. We access the righteousness of Christ. Simply, the Bible says, Abraham believed God. Now watch this. The thing about the plan of God, I want you to get ready to go to Genesis chapter 25. The thing about the plan of God, the way that God works in your life, is that it flies in the face of logic. Please hold on, hold on, hold on. Hang with me for a minute. I have never seen God do anything significant in my life that seeing it on the front end made sense to me. Think of, think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the people we're looking at. All three of their wives were barren. And the, watch this. And the promise to each man was, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're not saying, you're not, you're, not, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. God gives them a plan for their lives that they physically cannot accomplish. I told you, Abraham, uh, you know, he needed some spiritual Viagra. (laughs) The Bible says, the Bible says, oh, Sarah, I told you this a few weeks ago, that when God told Sarah that I'm going to make a great nation through you and your husband at 90 years old. Sarah laughed. And this is what she said. Why, how could God even give me the pleasure? Y'all, not, y'all missed it. I told y'all this before. She wasn't even thinking about the labor room. She was thinking simply about the bedroom. She said, what is going to happen with a 75-year-old man in a bedroom that will even give me the idea that a baby is going to come from my barren womb? This is how God works. God does not work the way we work. God's plans never make sense, especially salvation. That's why God can save anybody he wants. That's why, that's why there are going to be three shocks in heaven. That there are people there that you didn't think were going to be there. That there are people not there that you thought were going to be there. And then the biggest shock of all is that you made it. Why? Because when you look at your life, ah, I feel something in here. When you look at your life and your struggles and your frailties and your flaws and your mistakes and and your rebellion and your inconsistency and your unfaithfulness and, and all your stuff. And then you begin to look at Christ's love for you. You'll say, how? How in the world? Does he love me in light of what I have done? That's why Ellen White said that when we get to heaven, people are going to rejoice and say heaven was cheap enough. So stratagem part two. Go to the next slide. Go to the next slide. Genesis chapter 25. Get your Bibles out. Go to the next slide for me, uh, sweetheart, before you go to the scripture. Go to the next slide. I want them to see something. Uh, Genesis in your Bibles, go to Genesis or on your phone, whatever you got. Genesis chapter 25. I got really one point again as we're moving now into Abraham's son. Crazy thing is, is <laughs> yo, Abraham was not a righteous dude. You know what I'm saying? Like he showed one good moment. And even in that moment, we know now that was God working in him. Amen. When he offered up his son, Isaac. So I'm saying, Isaac, oh man, how holy is he? <laughs> I mean, what kind of kid who is stronger than his father lays on an altar and lets his 110-year-old father get ready to sacrifice him? You know, in my mind, I'm like, man, he must be the Messiah. <laughs> like, this, this kid must be the Messiah. And in Abraham's mind, that's a possibility to consider. They didn't know when the Christ was going to come. But I'm saying, I mean, come on, saints. I, I know you're holy, but you ain't that holy. You're not that holy where you lay on an altar, literally, and say, for God I'll live, for God I'll die. Like, who does that, right? All right, so watch this. So I'm thinking now, okay, the family is going to get a little better. Abraham was crazy, but now Isaac, thank God. 
Watch your boy Isaac. We can go to the scripture now. Uh, I'll just go there. Genesis 25. All right. And uh, let's look at uh, I want to have a good time in this text. (sighs) Let's look at verse 21. Genesis 25. So we looked at Abraham who got some credit. Somebody shout credit. Credit. If you're living on credit, say it louder. Amen. All right. And so now the third key person in salvation, Abraham, Isaac. All right. So I'm like, okay, finally, we're going to have somebody that's going to look. Let's go look like they got themselves together. And he starts off pretty good. Starts off real good. Now, watch this. <laughs> the Bible says in verse 21. All right. It says and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. Because she was barren. Uh, God, you just did that before. Why are you doing this again? Is anybody seeing what's happening here? <laughs> Wait, wait a minute. My mother was barren. Now you have me to marry a woman that's barren? So notice what he does. He, he responds a little differently than his father did, who got him a girlfriend. The Bible says, and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer. All right, that's a good start. That's a good start. Abraham would have done something a little different, right? So the son seems to be learning some lessons. All right, amen. Let's keep on going here. The Bible says, and the Lord granted his prayer and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. Amen. Verse 22. Now, here comes here. Here, here comes. Listen, now, if the, if the devil knows he can't get you. Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> he's coming for your children. <laughs> oh, Lord. Does anybody see what's that? If the enemy knows he can't get with you. Then he will start exposing stuff in you with your children. You don't have to say amen. I know it's the truth. Watch here. The Bible says in verse, what verse are we in, everybody? The children, this is at her birth. So the Lord answered her prayer, struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening? Translation, what in the world is going on inside of me? The Bible goes on to say, it says, so she went to inquire of the Lord. Verse 23, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Now watch this, guys. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. Now here's the thing. They weren't ready for this. And the older shall serve the younger. Is everybody with me right now? Sometimes when we start reading the Bible, folks get bored. Listen to this. That's a shame. So watch what's happening now. In that culture, the firstborn was considered to be, in other words, it should have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. The Bible even goes on to say that when the boys are born, this is, what a sight. Uh, Amazing. Out of the womb, Esau comes, and he's red and hairy. The Bible says on day one, Jacob, whose name means he who grabs the heel, supplanter. Another word for that is manipulator. I mean, on the first day of his birth, does anybody know this to be true? I mean, babies generally on the first day appear to be without flaw. Until that night. Come on, say amen. It doesn't take long to discover that they are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. But Jacob, the Bible says that the baby in utero grabs the heel of his brother and tries to pull him back in. You don't believe me. The Bible says in verse 24, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Verse 26. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when uh, when she bore them. Now go to verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. Here it goes. 
Now we're about to see the real Isaac. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So there is a prophecy that God gives when those children are struggling in the womb. And this is the sense of the prophecy that I'm not going to do things as I've done them before. The oldest will not be the spiritual leader. The oldest will not carry the rights and privileges of the birthright. The older, in other words, listen to me, Rebecca, it's going to be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. It should be Esau, but because I'm God, I can do whatever I want to do when I want to do. And here's the point I want you to, I don't want you to miss on the front end. That I have noticed something about God. God has a way of disappointing our expectations. So notice now, Isaac, Mr. Perfect, starts showing us some kinks in his armor. He starts off having favorites with his two boys. Because, uh, because, because, because Esau is the oldest and because he's an outdoorsman. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's 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 a hunter. He's a man's man. You know what I'm saying? He's that guy. He's like the most interesting man in the world. I mean, he's hairy. He's got a beard. I mean, he, he makes strange sounds. I, I mean, I just I mean, he's buff. I mean, he, he doesn't want to be in the house with the women. Put me outside. And he comes home every day and says stuff like this. Dad, when I was out today, I killed a lion with my bare, bare hands. And they're sitting at the dinner table, and, and Jacob says, uh, uh, Isaac says to Jacob, well, Jacob, what did you do today? He said, well, uh, you know, I, I helped mom uh, patch up a few of the tents, and uh, uh, we had a couple sheep to stray, and I love shepherding, dad. Uh, you know. Okay, anyway, so Esau, tell me, tell me more about how, oh, and father, I forgot to tell you, there was a bear that, that, that tried to seize me. And, and father, I took out my bow and arrow and I was able to apprehend him. And all this time, Isaac is sitting there like, oh, this boy, he makes me so proud. And, and the Bible says he would send him out on errands to do stuff just so when he got home, he could brag about it. And so watch this now. I've seen this at home. So Rebecca starts to notice that the father is favoring the oldest. And so normally what parents will do is, is parents will feel sorry for the other child and they'll start trying to bring about balance and she begins to affirm Jacob. But see, what she knows and what Isaac both know is that God has already spoken as to who is going to be the spiritual leader of the family. The one that shall carry the seed of the son of God in his loins will not be Esau. It will be Jacob. But here's the problem that I want many of you to understand right now. Most of us, when God is trying to deal with us, when I say deal, I'm talking about when he's trying to grow your relationship with him, when he's trying to show you things about yourself, when he's trying to push you past limits into different levels and deeper knowledge of who he is, when he's trying to save your soul, he will use tactics and strategies that go against your expectations and your desires on purpose. You missed what I said. On purpose, God tries to confuse you. On purpose. Do you know why? Because he does not want you trusting yourself. Uh, you're, not, you're, not, you're not feeling me. Have you ever been in an experience where you have prayed and asked God for something? And then when whatever it was came, it brought about an internal war in you. Confusion in you. Like, hold on a minute. I asked for this. Why would you send me this? And I want to tell you something right now. God specializes in making you look stupid. He doesn't, remember now, he does not want you leaning to your own understanding. Think about it now. In Isaac's mind, the leader of the family should be a warrior. The leader of the family should be a man's man. The leader of the family shouldn't be running around in the back with his mama. That's right. Now, here's the crazy thing. The crazy thing is, is Esau 
Although the oldest didn't want to be the leader. Jacob wanted it from day one. Now I want you to, I want, I want you to see the dynamics here. Isaac is like, young man, I'm so proud of you. And in a little while, I'm going to bestow upon you a blessing where God is going to do some extraordinary things in your life. Rebecca is with Jacob. Jacob, the Lord gave me a vision and told me that your brother would serve you. Don't let him or your father try to interfere with what God is doing. Now, here's the crazy thing. You're talking about a seven, eight-year-old, nine-year-old little boy, and from day one, he wants to be the man. His brother cares nothing of it. Jacob desired, Spirit of Prophecy says that Jacob saw the future, but Esau lived in the moment. Let me show you how it unfolds very quickly. And I just, I've got to close. I want, you to see, I want you to see how it unfolds. Look at verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew. I mean, he's a cook. <laughs> I know men are chefs. And I, but come on. Isaac is a man's man. I mean, he's, I mean this guy. I mean, I, what? I mean, he's with his mama cooking. Want him? Um, uh, this is, has nothing to do with my sermon, but parents generally favor the child that reminds them most of themselves. That's unfair. And you're not even a good person, so why would you want that? Look here. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Verse 31. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. I mean, like, dude, your boy is hungry. He, he's been, it's a long day. You've been in the house with your mama. And all I want, you just give me something to eat. But on Jacob's mind constantly is, how am I going to get from him what God promised me? Now, if God made a promise to Jacob saying that he would be the man, then why is he trying to manipulate and strategize and fulfill God's promise for him? But because Esau doesn't care too much about spiritual things, he doesn't want the restrictions of being called. He doesn't want the responsibility of being the spiritual leader. God knows that in advance, and God says, I'm going to change directions, and I want Jacob instead. The word of God says, this blows my mind, that he comes in hungry. Jacob says, if you want something to eat, Give me your whole life. And your boy, because he lives in the moment, he's like, whatever. I'm about to die anyway. I don't care. Just feed me. Now, here's the thing I want to say right now. You know, all of our lives, we've been saying that Jacob deceived his brother. Brothers and sisters, that's not deception. No, is that deception? That's stupidity. You took a bowl of stew. Over being the spiritual leader of your family. He didn't lie to you. He told you what he was going to do to your face. This story is not about deception. This story is about people who do not want to go with God's plan the way he lays it out. Now, let me end here. Because we know what happens. Jacob basically finds a way to take advantage of his brother in a moment of weakness and get the spiritual blessing and responsibility. So he took the birthright. He took the what, everybody? 
years later when they're older, they then, y'all know, y'all heard this in like Sabbath school, vacation Bible school a thousand times, right? Then his mother gets involved. And she dresses Jacob up like Esau, puts skin on him, makes him like a hairy man. And he goes into his father when his father is blind. (laughs) Shady, man. (laughs) Schemers. Your boy is blind. He can't see. And so they go in there and he tricks his father. And his father's like, is this this Esau? (laughs) He's like, yes, this is Esau. (laughs) He's like, you don't sound like Esau. (laughs) He says, yes, it is. It's Esau. I mean, he's probably like trying to mimic his voice. He said, well, come over here and let me feel your arms because I know he's hairy. And so I don't, to me, I don't, I don't understand this. Like you can't tell the difference between some, some animal skin on a human's body. Like it doesn't make any sense to me. Anyway, they pulled it off and he blessed. He got the birthright first, then the blessing. Then he gave all the blessings to Jacob. A few minutes later, Esau comes in. Esau's like, Father, I'm ready for the blessing. He's like, hold on, you just got it. He says, no, no, Dad, what are you talking about? I, I brought you your favorite stew. I, I'm, I'm here. I'm ready for your blessing. The Bible says, no. He said, well, hold on. Oh, man, I've been tricked. Now, here's the thing. I want to just point this out real quick. There are so many of us that want God's plan for our lives, but we do not want it on his terms. Now, when, Je- when Esau found out that his brother had taken what he never wanted, he got mad. Listen to this point right now. Opportunity always looks better leaving than it does coming. There are some things that God is trying to do in your life right now, and it doesn't seem important. It doesn't seem significant. It doesn't even really too much matter to you because you're doing your own thing right now. And guess what? There will come a day, just like Esau, where God is going to take that thing from you. And when you finally got it taken from you, then you're going to want it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You should have never let that woman go in the first place. Should have never let that brother go in the first place. I know I'm preaching now. You should have never quit that job. You should have never left the church. You should have never done this. But what happens is many of us get caught up in the moment of our lives instead of living our lives in the uncomfortability of God's will. We don't want to be stretched. We don't want to be pushed. We don't want to have to struggle. We don't want to have to agonize. We don't want to have to be without. We don't want to have to be in those situations where we're not in control. And God loves it when we're not in control. God loves it when we don't know what we're doing. God appreciates it when you have no more strength, no more power, no more resources, no more money, no more reputation. God says, I can't work in a person's life that has it together because it's not about them. It's about me. So let me end here. So here's the problem. The problem with Isaac, Rebekah, Esau, and Jacob is this. They all had one thing in common. They tried to help God fulfill his promise. Listen to me. I want you to look at this from the perspective of your salvation. God's promise to you is this. I'll save you. I will save you. This is what we do. Let me help you out with that. Let me help you out. Because I don't trust you. And I'm not too much into being uncomfortable and waiting. This is what happened in this text. Jacob did not want to wait on God. Now here, think, think of this for a minute. God tells him, you will be the man. What he does then next is, is let me help God answer that. Come over here, Esau. Let's make a trade. Let me tell you something. God, if God, if God makes a promise, 
even when it relates. See, most of us, oh, we want him to fulfill the promises of our, of our finances and our, and our home and our job and the healing of our body. But, but let's just put that aside for a minute. God has promised in his word. He says in John 3, 16, that whosoever believes in him will not perish. Do you hear the force of that language? He says, if you believe in me, you will not perish. And yet there are so many of you out here who are afraid to say, I'm saved. If God has made a promise that he's going to save you, then stop trying to help him. How do we help God? We help God by trying to be stuff and do stuff and impress people. Watch this. Here's an amazing. Let me show you how Jacob tried to help God. He got dressed up like somebody else. His strategy was, is the way that I'm going to get God's blessing is I can't be me. The problem with far too many of us as believers and church people is we're walking around here with clothes on trying to give people the impression, trying to impress others and even God himself that we are much better than we are. Stop it. The Bible says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. He says, though your sins be as scarlet. In other words, God is saying, bring me all your stuff. Bring me all your sins. Bring me all your stuff. I mean, I long for the day. I say this often when the church will get so free where there's no more pretension. There's no more fake Christians. Everybody's trying to impress everybody. Everybody wants everybody to think that we got it together and we're on point and we're serving the Lord. I want to be the first to admit to you right now. I don't have it together. Your pastor is struggling. I am struggling day by day to live saved. I'm struggling day by day to believe God's promises. I struggle day by day to take him at his word. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm just trying to help somebody today. I don't have it figured out. I lie sometimes. Sometimes I say things I have no business saying. And God forbid, sometimes I think things in my heart that I have no business thinking. I don't have it figured out. And I'm not ashamed to be a sinner. I'm not ashamed to be broken. I'm not ashamed to have it messed up. Because Christ does not want me bringing an outfit that belongs to somebody else. What God is saying is this. He says, bring me your stuff and bring me your issues and bring me your mistakes and bring me your past. Bring me your past. Even the most recent past. He says, I want all your stuff. Come to me just as you are. The Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The problem with Jacob and his family is that they were trying to be God and fulfill a promise that he made. And I'm, oh, I just, can I talk about God for The Bible says his words are yes and amen. I never knew what that meant. It sounds good, though. It sounds really churchy, too. Yes and amen. Yay and nay. You know, the Wyandans wrote a song about that. They're yay and nay. I mean, what does that mean? In other words, yes means yes. Affirmatives. <laughs> Did you ask for it? My answer is yes. Do you want to be saved? Yes. Do you want the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you want victory over the sin in your life that you keep falling to over and over again? Yes! And then, if yes was not enough, the scripture says, then he says, amen. Affirmative. And you know what amen means? Amen is a word that simply means it is done. When people say amen in church, they're not really supposed to be affirming what is said. What they're supposed to, be, what it really supposed to mean is, is that that what you are saying over my life, I declare it done. 
I cannot see it. And I might even have to wait on it. Think about this for a minute. Jacob, after this, has to go on the run. I want to help somebody here. One of the worst feelings in the world is guilt. So Jacob runs. His mom says, you got to get out. Your brother's going to kill you. For 20 years. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you right now are holding on to things that God has let go. So what you got divorced? It happens. Oh, help me, Jesus. And we as a church have got to stop making people feel like they are, that they're not worth anything because they did something. So what? It's over. Finished. Done. I've confessed my sins. He has promised that he'll be faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse. Let it go. He couldn't know. He couldn't. And in the middle of the night, the Bible says that he's attacked and he knows at this point. Go ahead, Willie. Start playing. At this point, he thinks he's like, it's, I'm, I'm getting, here's the thing. God is getting me. Please, please don't miss this. Some of you right now, you think God's getting you. You think you're paying for something. That's why I can't move. God, help us today to see you as you are. Brothers and sisters, that's not, you're not listening to me. Hear me. God is not punishing you you would be dead. In the middle of the night, he is attacked. And you know the first thing that comes to Jacob's mind is what? I knew it was going to happen. I knew it. I knew he was going to get me. You know what he's really saying? I knew he wasn't going to keep his promise. I knew it. I've done too much. I've made too many mistakes. I'm not as spiritual as the pastor. I'm not as spiritual as the head elder. God has different rules for different people. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've done. All of that means nothing in the face of a promise from God. Do you realize that when God makes a promise that there is, it is impossible for him not to keep it? Do you know why? Because when his promises leave his mouth, the word of God says they cannot come back. In the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, he says it's Esau. He's got him. I'm done. The Bible says your boy start. Y'all remember I preached this some years ago and I had someone I was up there wrestling with Whitehead or somebody. I mean, he was fighting for his life. And he didn't realize he was fighting God. He thought it was an enemy. And, and, and so God could just let him know that it was him. He just, the Bible says he just put his finger on his thigh. The next scene we see is a man with a new name. You know why God calls them the children of Israel? You know why you are a a child of Israel? There's a reason for that. It's because Israel means overcomer. In order to overcome, that must mean there's something you got to get over. Yeah. 
And even though for the rest of his life, Jacob has a limp, he's going to limp his way into the kingdom. I, I don't know about you. I don't care how I get in. I don't care when I get in. I can be 143,999 person. I just want to get in. And I, I, have, I have lived long enough to know that my trying and my striving and my working does not work. What I need to start doing is start trusting and believing and waiting on God. So there's two things I want you to gather from this. We have two issues with waiting on God. Number one, we're impatient with God's work in our life. Hey, can I tell you something? Anybody in here struggling with something? It's been a long time. Come on now. Come on. Come on. It's been a long time. Come on. Come on. All the real saints in here, keep your hands down. All right. But the the struggling saints, raise your hand. If there's something in your life that you've been struggling with for a long time, be patient. Be patient. Be patient. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Be patient. Number two. Church people. Oh, church people. Stand. Let's stand. Let's stand. I got to say this to you standing. Church people, I want you to look at your neighbor right now and tell them, be patient with other people. Tell them. All right. Now, now, now. I want you to personalize this. I want you to look that Pharisee in the eye. And I want you to say to them, be patient with me. God is not through with me yet. Isaac, what's your problem? I don't want God's plan. I want my plan. Rebecca, what's your problem? I want God's plan, but I want it on my terms. Esau, what's your problem? I don't want his plan at all. I just want to do me until I get in trouble. Jacob, what's your problem? God made a promise to me, but I I don't want to wait on it. If the Lord spoke to you, I want you to move right now. You come right here, and I want you to come pray with me. If the Lord spoke to your heart today, we're always resorting to stratagem. You know what stratagem is? It's manipulation. It's always trying to find a way to help God do what He said. Just man, let Him let Him do His thing and wait on it. Some of you are saying, Pastor, but I can't, I can't, I can't stop this addiction. Wait on God. Wait on God. If you wait on Him, He will renew your strength. Come on, saints. Come close. Come close. Somebody out here right now needs to know if you wait on him, he will fulfill his promise. Don't try to help him. Don't try to manipulate it. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to pray and wait. Pray and wait. Don't mess it up. Is there anybody else out here that needs to know that today? Pastor, I'm struggling with trying to do too much. I need to learn how to be still. No, listen. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, be still, not and do, but be still and what? Thank you. While you're struggling in your walk with God, God says, I want you to just spend that time trying to get to know me better. And I'll keep my own promises. Is there somebody else that just simply needs to say, I take my hands off. I remove my hands. Now, there's some of you out here where God has, you don't, you don't, have, you don't even have a choice. God, God removed your hands from the situation. Does anybody know what I'm talking about out there? You have, you have no more control. 
All you've been doing is giving people the appearance like you have control. But if you're in here today and God has already removed the rug from under your feet and you have no control over the matter and you just need to learn to be still, lift your hands right now. It's about and your eyes are closed. God, we're so silly sometimes. <laughs> Trying too much instead of trusting. Trusting. Having some peace that you know what. Your life's too short to be worrying. Life's too short to be conniving. Life's too short to be a schemer. Life's too short to be manipulative. Life's too short to be shady. Life is too short to have strategies. And life is too short. God, God, we are learning through Jacob and Esau and Rebecca and Isaac, this imperfect family that tried to fulfill your promise. We're learning that we got to learn how to wait on God. Right where you are, I want you to begin to talk to God personally. Personally. Get, get your relationship.